You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle Podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. Y'all know I love to read, and almost every episode of this podcast includes a recommendation to check out an awesome book. From Adid Jaffe's Abstinence Myth to Johan Hari's Chasing the Scream, I'm constantly looking for new books to learn from and enjoy. That's why I'm super excited to partner with Bookshop. Bookshop is a wonderful website that helps you find all your favorite books and support your local neighborhood bookstore in the process. I've bought everything from textbooks to Star Wars novels on Bookshop, and I've supported my local store with each transaction. Best of all, my Bookshop link will allow you to see all the books I've mentioned on the show right in one spot. So check out Bookshop today using the link in my show notes or go to bookshop.org slash shop slash C-Y-S and you'll find all the awesome books you want and support the podcast in the process. Check it out today. Today on the Choose Your Struggle podcast, it's legendary cannabis advocate Mason Tavert. But first, Kid Mental, can you dig it? Things ain't always gonna go our way. But you can always win when you choose your struggle. And some battles will be yesterday. But today is for a new weekend. Choose your struggle. And don't worry about what they say. But you can always win when you choose your struggle. And you can bounce back. Yes, that's right. Come on and listen in to choose your struggle. Choose your struggles. Choose your struggles. Hello and welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. So great to be back with you all. This week is one of those episodes where I'm like, how <laughs> how did I get to do this? You know, I do that. I've, I've been feeling that way a lot recently, like getting to chat with Kyle Blanks, who as I'm recording this, we're actually texting right now. That's something else. Just a guy that I've obviously I saw on TV and now we've become friendly and, and he's doing really cool work. And like that is amazing. But this week is a guy that I'm like, it's so cool I got to chat with. His name is Mason DeVert, as you heard me say if you listened to the outro of the episode with Sandy last week. Mason may not be a household name for some of you. For some of you, he definitely is. But for the rest of you, you know his work. I am 100% guaranteeing that. Mason is the reason that we have legal cannabis. Now, he obviously had a huge team around him, and he would be the first person to be like, dude, I definitely didn't do this alone. But Mason was the spearhead of the team that helped legalize cannabis in Colorado and then spread this message on to everywhere else, and you saw the dominoes start to fall. Some of his stories, some of the stories about Mason are household stories for people who do this work the challenging of former mayor, former governor, former presidential candidate, I think he's the uh, the senator now, John Hickenlooper, to a duel uh, where Mason would take a hit off of a joint for every sip of beer that Hickenlooper took, bred like wildfire. Other stories you'll hear on on this podcast. Mason is a legend in this work. And I so appreciate him taking the time to chat with me and tell me some of these stories and talk about sort of what the future looks like for cannabis legalization and drug legalization and ending the war on drugs and all of that. So this one is, is you know, just it was a delight to chat with him. Uh, he took some time from his busy schedule to chat with me for that. And, and, and I'm very thankful. So. 
he tells a story uh, about, you know, what really woke him to this issue, which was being arrested and interrogated and all this kind of crazy stuff for cannabis. And you'll hear him tell it very well, obviously, in this interview. But what is really fascinating to me is that so many of us have that story. The story of crazy things happening uh, around the criminalization of cannabis, of people treating this like we were smuggling weapons, right? And, and yet now here we are, in some cases as few as 10 years later, and this is a thing that is a billion-dollar industry. The same people who called me a criminal and a degenerate for smoking cannabis are now touting its its benefits in the boardroom. And, and we've never owned up to that as a country, right? These same people would never tell you they were wrong, you know? And, and it's because they there was such a concentrated effort to get people to think that that was a dangerous drug and you were a criminal element. And it goes all the way back to Anzinger, obviously, as most things do. But it's just fascinating to see how far we've come. And, and that's something I talked about with John Hudek and Natalie Papillon last season. But it's, it's sometimes startling to see how far we have to go. And Mason and I talk about this as well. But it's also important to stop and go, good Lord, we've come so far. There are still places where people's lives are being destroyed over cannabis. And, you know, I live in a state currently, uh, although obviously moving very soon, that, that still treats it as like a felony and you, your life can be destroyed over the devil's weed and all that bullshit. So, yeah, it's really, it's really important to, to look back and go, we've come really far. Although, as I'm recording this, uh, I just saw an article about how <laughs> Kamala Harris, our vice president, despite pushing for legalization last year while she was still in the Senate, came out and said that it's not time yet for national legalization uh, because her boss, Joe Biden, feels that it's a gateway drug and that kids are getting hooked on cannabis. And I mean, honestly, fuck Joe Biden. So uh, <laughs> the one note I'll, I'll leave you with this week before we go into the show. I am recording this early, as I mentioned last week on the episode. Um, I am in Philadelphia, as you hear this, looking for places to live with my wife. So this was recorded last week. If something happens between the time I record this and uh, when it comes out, which is definitely possible. I mean, in January alone, we had an impeachment, an insurrection, and then a new president. You know, So it is possible within the next week something ridiculous is going to happen. That's why I didn't mention it here, and I will obviously talk about it next week, whatever this ridiculousness is. So enjoy this episode with the absolute legend, Mason Tavert. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that it's not the only thing I do. Choose Your Struggle is an entire brand. I speak, I coach and consult, I have rock bottom storytellers, there's a lot going on. And sometimes I get to a project and I go, man, I just, I can't do all of this myself. So I turn to Fiverr. It's so easy to find incredible professionals who can help me out. I've hired people to help with marketing, help with SEO, help with my website. So much great stuff all on Fiverr. I even found Kid Mental who did the incredible theme song on Fiverr. So if you have a project that you need some help on, 
go check out Fiverr. Use the link in the show notes or my podcast website and you'll help the podcast in the process. Check them out today. Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, my name is Mason Tavert. I am a partner at VS Strategies, which is a cannabis policy and public affairs firm. Uh, it's based in Denver, but works around the country and uh, on, on advising and guiding uh, people on sensible cannabis policy. Um, I've worked in cannabis policy and advocacy for the last 15 years. Uh, I used to be the communications director for the Marijuana Policy Project and uh, prior to that, I co-founded uh, and directed an organization called Safer Alternative for Enjoyable Recreation, otherwise known as SAFER. And I also co-directed the uh, the Amendment 64 cam- legalization initiative campaign in Colorado. And I've worked on various initiatives and legislative efforts around the country. Most people don't really need to, don't care to talk to me about what I do now. They want to talk about to me, talk to me about the old stuff. No, I mean, look, like like a good Paul McCartney concert, of course, we want to hear the old stuff. But yeah, I want to hear I don't want to hear the new things you're working on. So um, we'll definitely get to that as well. Uh, you know, you you came to my awareness through the incredible book, Chasing the Scream, which is where I think a lot of people probably read about you. That being said, I obviously knew about your work, right, with with uh, the legalization in Colorado. Um, and so just putting a name, I guess, to, to that was what was really interesting to me. Uh, but nobody, at least, you know, people who do this work, like, you know, I do a lot of advocacy around this, obviously not to your level, um, but but around substance misuse and mental health, everybody has their personal connection. You know, this is not usually a subject that people get into sort of accidentally, you know, there's something that is a calling to them. So for you, what what was it that brought you to this subject matter? Oh, well, I mean, ultimately, I got into this because I got into cannabis, you know, I thought that, you know, I, I, as a a college student, uh, uh, you know, really, that's kind of when I really started using cannabis. Uh, I enjoyed it. I thought it was, uh, you know, fantastic on so many levels. And um, it wasn't until I really, you know, started to experience some of those effects of prohibition myself uh, that I started to really educate myself about the issue and get a bit more, um, you know, strongly opinionate on, on it. So, you know, I mean, I like I, if I said, oh, I knew from the beginning that this was a worthwhile progressive cause that was all about, pro, you know, promoting equity and uh, addressing racial justice, like I'd be full of shit. Like that's <laughs> not, that's not, I did not know that when I, you know, but I used cannabis and I enjoyed it. And then uh, I was impacting, you know, I, I was subject to investigation and, and really uh, law enforcement scared the hell out of me. And uh, that was when I started really looking into it and quickly realized all these issues surrounding it, you know, um, that I just rattled off some of them. And, and that's when I, you know, became very strongly opinionated on it. And, you know, when I finished school, I was looking to work on something I cared about and I managed to find an opportunity to do this and it worked out. And I've just been incredibly lucky that I've managed to make a career out of it. 
So I really appreciate that because, you know, I get asked that a lot, too, as someone who talks a lot about the criminal justice side. Oh, that had to have been what motivated you. No, like, of course, I care about that. And I came to that. But what really set me off in this direction for the first time was when I was arrested for possession and paraphernalia. You know, I was 21 and they treated me like I was this done this, this horrible offense. And now, luckily, I should say, uh, as a as a privileged white guy with means, I nothing happened after that It was a horrible couple of weeks and then it was all over. Um, but that really showed me, wow, like this thing is so overblown that this is how I was treated just for having weed. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, there are other reasons now that I am very passionate about it that do come from other parts of, of my background that I, but I, don't, I wasn't necessarily aware of them at the time. And perhaps the biggest one is this whole concept of, of cannabis and alcohol, which is, you know, that comparison. And, you know, that was a big part of the, the organization that I started uh, along with a couple other folks um, called Safer was really entirely based on educating people about the relative safety of cannabis compared to alcohol. And that was a main theme of the work we did in Colorado for years. Um, and, it is something that really was pre a pretty noteworthy thing for me, but I didn't really realize it until after the fact. And by that, I mean, like, like when I was in college, you know, I, I had an incident, uh, it's, it might've even been mentioned in Chasing the Scream, I don't remember, but I had an incident in, in high school where I drank so much that I was taken by ambulance to an emergency room. Um, you know, it was insane. And uh, it was at a country music festival of all places. And, uh, you know, basically woke up in an ER, didn't even know if it was the same night or the next day. And they, you know, basically just like, let me leave. They called me a cab. And there was no police there to demand to know where I got the alcohol and, and, or anything like that. And then I went to college in my freshman year. I was, like I mentioned earlier, I was investigated uh, and harassed and it scared the hell out of me. But it was like, I wasn't hurting myself at all. Like, and now I've got every level of law. I mean, this is a multi-jurisdictional grand jury and drug task force. So this is like everyone from the DEA down to the campus police department working together to figure out where me, a lowly high, uh, excuse me, college freshman, got my hands on some weed. Um, where on earth could I have gotten it? And they're all working so hard to find out. Yet when I almost drank myself to death, it was just like no big deal. And I didn't realize, you know, I didn't make that juxtaposition at the time. But when I started doing this work and really thinking about it, talking about it, it, it is quite evident that, you know, we treat these substances incredibly foolishly as a society, at least in this country. Um, and it's getting better, but it is still a, a disparity there. And it kind of also just highlights, you know, my ultimate passion here, which is uh, to, you know, minimize the harm associated with with the use of substances, whether that's cannabis or alcohol or anything else. So you went into obviously what we're going to talk a lot about, which is the campaign. Uh, but first, I, I really appreciate that you you sort of touch on the fact that it is getting better, but we're nowhere near you know, where we need to be, right? I mean, if you're starting from 200 steps below zero and you make it 10, great, you've made progress, but you still have a lot of a long way to go. And and sort of going back to, again, your story in Chasing the Screen, that is something that Johan Hari touches on a lot, which is it, exposing the past, the, the where all of this comes from and how most of it's built on racism, sexism, a lot of times just outright lies and, and how a lot of those things don't stand up 
to, to inspection, to criticism. Yeah, you know, uh, these, these substances are generally used for many of the same reasons. Obviously, there's medical value with, with cannabis. Um, some people, you know, there's certain medical benefits associated with red wine and so on. But, you know, the predominant reason for consumption is uh, recreation for, you know, and relaxation, however people want to define it. Um, it's because they enjoy it or it makes them feel better. That might be because it makes them fall asleep when they can't. It might be because it keeps them awake when they want to fall, when they always fall asleep. It might be because something hurts. It might be because, you know, it just makes them more open to uh, social situations and, and able to live a fuller life. And, you know, that's the same for cannabis and alcohol, you know, yet for some reason, our society decided this one substance is okay. This other one isn't now, obviously with alcohol, you do have that blip there of, you know, you had prohibition. Um, so we as a society were going the wrong way on that, but we realized it and corrected course with cannabis. On the other hand, things, uh, you know, went further down the road and now we're in this position where we're still clawing our way back out. Yeah. Right before we came on here, I was having a conversation with someone on a face in a Facebook group, but they, they made a comment that because somebody was open about their, about their enjoyment of cannabis, and this is in uh, California, they didn't deserve a role in a movie. And I was like, that's so silly. Like, would you say that if it, because they talked about drinking, of course you wouldn't say that, that, that those two things, no, you know, they're, they're very different. And it's that stigma at play that really, again, when you put it under the microscope, it just, it doesn't stand up. There's nothing there. Yeah, and, and there, there is still that, that disparity in how these two are treated, but I will say it's, it's that gap is being closed, you know, I mean, obviously, it has to be done through the legal, you know, system, like we need to see these products treated differently, because by nature, if something is, is illegal, uh, it's going to always be looked down upon, at least by a certain segment of society that simply bases their views on the law. And, and, that's understandable. You know, there are some people that think that way that, you know, if it's illegal, it must be wrong. If it's legal, it must be okay. Uh, or at least that it's okay as long as, you know, there might be some warnings. But um, so with cannabis, uh, the laws changing is certainly driving things forward. And we are seeing uh, differences. We are seeing, you know, sports leagues, professional sports leagues reevaluate their policies. Now, are they, you know, treating these two substances anything? that could be viewed as the same? No, they're not. They're, you know, running beer ads, yet uh, they're now giving, you know, athletes two or three chances before they lose their livelihoods, you know, with, with a failed drug test. So it's hardly that they're being treated the same. But um, as we expected, as the laws change, um, public attitudes are changing. And, you know, it's really just a question of, of time. Yeah, that's a really great point. And obviously, I want to circle back to that when we're talking about your work and the incredible story about about your work with the um, NASCAR. Uh, that was really incredible. But I, I think back on, um, you know, both the NFL and the NBA, as you said, are revisiting how they treat uh, people who, who smoke cannabis. And, you know, there's two very famous examples in the, in the NFL is Josh Gordon and the NBA is OJ Mayo, who had their entire careers ruined over over weed recently you know we're talking oj mayo was like three years ago right and and, and yet 
now great we're moving forward they're not they're not doing that to people anymore well that doesn't fix the fact that these guys have had their lives ruined over something that is now not being considered the same way so it is uh yes it is it's great that they're starting to consider this but it's too little too late in a lot of cases so I think we're, we're heading in a great direction on this, which is, you know, a really famous story about you, which is you challenging a very famous person to sort of uh, uh, this debate in a very public way, which made a huge difference in, in, in you know, the, the eventual legalization in, in Colorado. And that was John Hickenlooper, who of course, has been in the news for, I don't know, what, a decade now for, for various political offices. But as a lot of people don't remember, made his money in alcohol to start with. And you very famously challenged him to, if I remember correctly, it was you would you would take a hit off of a joint for every beer he drank. Was that right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, we, we'd take a I'd take a, a hit of, of of cannabis for every sip of beer um, that he had. Um, yeah, it's really funny. I mean, it, it's gotten probably it's like the it's probably the example for me of of um, a t- like a story that has gotten better over time because (laughs) at the time it got attention. It got in the news. Don't get me wrong. Like, I mean, but the retelling of it in the, has gotten more distance than the story itself. I think at this point Um, over, it was really the use of John Hickenlooper as a foil overall in the, you know, in the legalization movement in Colorado. That's, that's really, you know, that, that, that drug duel, that's kind of like the, the, the tip of the iceberg, you know, um, but it was really a matter of this guy was at the, when we first encountered him, the mayor of Denver and a very popular mayor, he was, you know, had in, some of the highest favorability ratings in the country. Uh, everyone loved the guy. Um, and we made this very calculated decision to go after him after he opposed legalization, a legalization issue we were working on. And uh, it up, certain people thought it was silly and they thought it was a bad idea because it would upset potential supporters or what have you. But um, we just knew that it was going to be something that would really highlight the, the, the issue we wanted to talk about. And we knew that uh, we could do it in a way that would get people's attention and, and make people talk about it. Hence, it's 15 years later and we're, we're still talking about it, but uh, it was really a series of things. I mean, we chased the guy around the city in a chicken suit. Uh, we held out a big sign in front of his office that said, what's the difference between Mayor Hickenlooper and a drug dealer or in a marijuana dealer? Uh, Mayor Hickenlooper sells a more dangerous drug. I mean, we, we just did all sorts of things. Um, and of course there was that, that whole thing with the drug duel challenge. Um, but yeah, just that whole story with him overall um, was a was a a great series of events. So now, I was your goal at that moment to push for legalization, or was were you at the time really just raising awareness, or or did you already know both. this was going to happen? Uh, both. I mean, if you go back and you look at the grant proposal, so basically safer, you know, which is the, the era we're discussing right now, is is safer alternative for enjoyable recreation nonprofit. That was uh, an organization I started with Steve Fox um, after, uh, right, basically right after college, more or less. Um, and I moved to Colorado to start that group. And um, it, uh, it was basically um, intended, I mean, if you look at the grant proposal, it was an MP, the Marijuana Policy Project, a big national organization. They provided the grant funding to get that started. And it was really a pilot project. I mean, up to that point, um, 
the legalization movement, at least like the very professional legalization movement, like the Marijuana Policy Project, the Drug Policy Alliance, it was very much about just, you know, staying away from, from saying cannabis is okay. I mean, it was all about, you know, talking about the harms of prohibition and, and not defending the use of cannabis in and of itself. Uh, that was still too scary for people. Like it was too much of an endorsement of getting high, if you will. But we wanted to try this new approach of, of really educating people about the fact that cannabis is safer than alcohol um, for a strategic reason. And so our grant proposal actually I think it used the phrase uh, that we intended to fertile the ground for legalization in Colorado. Um, so we started in 2005. And, and at that time, I think our, our grant proposal said, uh, you know, fertiling the ground and building support for a initiative to legalize and regulate for adult use in 2000. And I think it's 8, 12 or, six, or you know, 2008 or two, 8, 12 or 16 or something like that. I might even say 12 or 16. Um, so, you know, now, did I think that that would happen? Not at that time, um, but you know, it was uh, really, it, it is astonishingly, perhaps to the greatest extent possible in my life, the, the one shining example of everything that was supposed to happen, happening as planned. I mean, uh, it really, from, you know, the writing of that grant proposal to the success we had initially on college campuses, and getting this message out on campuses and in the media, then at the city level in Denver, then at the state level in Colorado, and then broadly, you know, it's just everything has gone exactly as we'd hoped. Yeah. And, you know, obviously here we are uh, 15, 16 years later. And, you know, what you helped start in Colorado has had immense effects across the country. And it's, it's pretty incredible to see from what it sounds like at the time you weren't even sure was was going to get going where you were trying to start it so that's pretty incredible but i want to pause real quick before we continue with this and shout out where people can find you online all that kind of stuff well i now work for a firm called vs strategies so it's v as in victor s is in sam strategies.com check us out online and you know otherwise i would certainly encourage everyone to find those organizations in your area or nationally that are working on these issues and support them as well. Ever since Mountain Made CBD founder Mike Passion came on the podcast way back in the beginning of season one, I've been lucky enough to call them a sponsor. And I say lucky because I love CBD. I preach about it to everybody. Mountain Made is the best in the game. They've got lower than the federally compliant level of THC, so it ships nationwide but they've got enough THC that you get the entourage effect. It's the best of both worlds. I love their Boost. It's a 10 milligram chewable. It's orange sherbet and white tea leaf flavor. It's fantastic. I take a couple of them throughout the day and it's got me feeling pretty good. If you want to start the morning on a high note, they've got Build. Build is a 50 milligram quick release tablet to take it with your coffee. You get it going in the morning and you feel great throughout the day. At the end of the day, they've got Recover and Recover is a 25 milligram chewable it's mango flavored. It's got magnolia. It'll leave you feeling pretty nice at the end of the day. My wife and I even picked up their dog chewables, which our dog loves. She's got anxiety. She's a rescue dog. And just one of Mountain Maid's chewables leaves her feeling pretty good. But here's the thing. Don't just take my word for it. I turned my wife on to Mountain Maid and she loves it. So let's hear what she has to say. Mountain Maid is the only CBD I have ever loved the only CBD I've been willing to purchase over and over and over again, and I don't see that stopping. So go to mountainmadecbd.com, and when you check out, tell them Choose Your Struggle sent you. 
People will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. That famous quote by the extraordinary Maya Angelou is exactly why I speak. It's why I tell my story and mix education around the topics of mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy with motivation, inspiration, and purpose. So when you're looking for your next keynote or breakout session speaker, reach out. Find me at my website, jshiffman.com, and I promise you, your employees, your group members, the students at your school, everybody will come away having learned something. And that's how we create change. Reach out today. Find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn, and choose your struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So you you start this program and and it takes off and and you know you're doing these things for that that are are getting publicity. I mean, I read the quote from Hickenlooper that y- you were very good at getting the news to cover you and. and Clearly, again, as you said, we're talking about this 15, 20, you know, 16 years later, you were very good at that. So how do we get from that to this ends up being a success and Colorado legalizes cannabis? Uh, well, you know, I was fortunate. I, I, you know, was worked with a guy named Steve Fox, who's now one of my, my business partners, but has been, you know, really a mentor to me since I got into this, this issue. Um, and, you know, I really just kind of learned as I went. I mean, I, you know, I got uh, my, you know, I minored in journalism and, and, you know, so I, I had a sense of these things and I, I understood how the media worked to an extent, but it was really something I, I figured out as I went. And, um, you know, the goal of this campaign was really public education and, and building a movement and, sh- you know, changing, changing public opinion. I mean, we wanted like what everything was based on is we knew that too many people still thought marijuana was too dangerous. And specifically, we knew that too many people thought it was more dangerous than alcohol, when obviously the facts point to it being less dangerous. And so the theory, which this was very much Steve's strategy, was uh, let's just increase the percentage of the public that understands the simple fact that marijuana is safer than alcohol. And just by doing that, there will inherently be more support. Now, there's obviously, you know, coalition building and the volunteer organization and there's all this stuff that goes into it and tons of volunteers and and all of this but at its core it was all about let's do these things whether it's you know running city ballot initiatives or uh you know a failed initiative in colorado in 2006 which we knew would fail but was intended just to to get media coverage really um you know and shenanigans with the mayor the governor whatever like let's do these things to get attention to this message because if we're successful later when it comes time to really strongly consider these big you know comprehensive reforms people will be more comfortable um you know we we knew you know what, what was happening we'd seen what had happened in places like nevada and california uh, adult use legalization measures being put on the ballot they're at 50 50 to 55% for months. And then the final couple of months of the campaign, uh, opposition starts talking about all the horrors that are gonna accompany it and it fails. And that just kept happening. And the goal with, with what we were doing was let's prepare people for that moment when they start hearing all the crazy shit. Let's you know make sure they understand 
something simple, not all, not every simple, you know, not every fact about marijuana, you know, but this one simple fact of it's less harmful than alcohol, a substance that we as a country tried to ban, recognized was a failure to ban it, and now allow and embrace. And so if we could just get enough people to have that basic understanding, when all, they start hearing all the crazy shit in those last month or two before the election, they're just going to, you know, say, yeah, maybe that's all true, but we're talking about something less harmful than alcohol. And, you know, it provided people with that, you know, fallback on, yeah, this does still make sense. Let's do it. So it gets across the finish line and in Colorado becomes the first state to, to, to do this. And California soon followed. Uh, and I know if I remember correctly, you know, you were invited to come try to work on some of those as well. And you ended up going to work on this full time. Like you made this your, your career from that point. Well, it was my career already. So, you know, let's be fair. I, I'm I mean, sorry. You're right. That was, that was dismissive. I meant outside of Colorado. You decided to. Yeah. Make yeah. Brought in the beyond Colorado. So safer had started to do some stuff or outside of Colorado, mostly with college campuses. We helped students organize these campus ballot measures or, or resolutions on campuses all over the country uh, between 2000 and, you know, seven to 2010. But um, it was really, you know, after Colorado legalization, uh, that at that point, uh, I became the communications director for the Marijuana Policy Project, um, and I worked on. So I, I handled a, a large amount of of the work around, you know, the materials and design and uh, messaging for the Alaska Initiative in 2014. Uh, I worked on uh, in 2016 on Maine and Massachusetts and Nevada uh, and Arizona, which my home state unfortunately barely lost, but has since passed and. Um, is now legal their system is now moving forward so um yeah really uh, from colorado started to work on these broader issues and then my colleagues who i'd worked on this campaign with they you know had this law firm uh which is now the you know it's vicente cedarberg uh with which my firm is affiliated we're the consulting affiliate but they had worked on this initiative as well and so now they went from being attorneys helping mostly just Colorado clients uh, and some in some other medical states, but now really all over and helping other states and even other countries like Uruguay, for example, uh, helping them develop these systems and help them implement them. And so we kind of both did the same thing. It's just that they did it in the, you know, law firm advising private companies and governments and i went off and did it through let's you know help nonprofits and and let's pat you know advocacy and now it's all come full circle and we work together again and it was during that time where you were really focusing on sort of the messaging and all of that that you got the the kind of ridiculous nickname with the don draper of pot how, how did you feel about giving being given that nickname <laughs> It's really funny. I mean, I remember the article. I remember when I did the interview for it and everything. And, and they, I mean, I got to say, you know, like, kudos, you know, God bless them. Like, they hooked me up. Uh, you know, I had no idea at the time when I did the, you know, did the interview. I didn't realize it was, you know, it was going to be something that would follow me really forever. I mean, it's really, it gets referenced all the time. So, I, I mean, at the time, I didn't think much of it. I might have even thought it was stupid. I was like, oh, like, I, you know, cheesy Mad Men reference. Um, but hey, I mean, it's managed to, to, to stick and um, certainly appreciate it. And, and it was during that, again, I touched on this earlier, but you made the great um, 
a reference to how sports leagues are kind of uh, one of the last bastions where this really needs to be fixed. And you did something at NASCAR, which is a really incredible story, I think, for raising the awareness of this issue. Uh, yeah, no, it was a great, um, and a, another just example of something that just went better than ever could have been expected. Um, you know, at, when working in a, you know, for an organization doing communications work, you often get, you know, hit up by various advertisers, you know, companies trying to sell advertisements, place advertisements. I mean, they're always reaching out um, and someone did and they're, you know, they're, it's always like, oh, we can help you get a, you know, on the Jumbotron at a sporting event or in Times Square or this or that. And, and a lot of times they don't even know what you do. And then you start talking about the details and then they're like, oh, actually we probably can't do that. Um, but, you know, this one caught my eye. Like, it was like, yeah, we, like something about Jumbotron. I was like, you know what? I am actually interested. It was at the, the NASCAR race, um, the Brickyard uh, out in Indiana. And, um, you know, it's just like, it was, they pitched it as, oh, you can have like this video on the Jumbotron at the race. And so we put together a video that basically it was like a, a parody of a beer ad, but it was about like marijuana being like the new like beer and how it's less, you know, it's less harmful to your health and less likely to contribute to violence. And, you know, it's this new, the new, the new beer. And, um, and they, it turned out that they were just showing these on big screens out in the parking lots, um, not even inside the actual race. And, and normally that would have pissed, you know, would have been upset, but like, it didn't even matter. I mean, we, we, you know, we never lied about it, but we said that they'd be appearing, you know, like on screens surrounding the NASCAR race and so on. And, and we put it out to the media. And, and what's funny is it only aired on those screens for about maybe an hour, if that. I was supposed to be for like, you know, couple of days or something and it was like people you know sure enough there was a complaint or whatever um and they they stopped airing them and as a result we got the money back uh so we didn't even pay for them and we had produced the video in-house i produced it with one of the guys on my team and uh so it ended up being entirely free but it resulted in tons of coverage all over the country and on national cable news and uh really did get this message out well, it was such a juxtaposition there that here is a place where hundreds of thousands of people are gathering to drink in a very unsafe in some ways way. And yet you're getting complaints about the fact that there were showing an, a, an ad, quote unquote, for, for cannabis. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, it's a great point. And, and you know, yeah, it's certainly these are events that are sponsored by alcohol companies. I'm sure there's cars whizzing around with beer logos on them. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah, a, a perfect example. And the fact that they got taken down and, and it, you know, that almost, you know, that helps uh, create some controversy around it. Um, and it really yeah, gave it a boost. So you are an expert on this. Literally, you wrote the book on why it's ridiculous that, that we still, uh, you know, consider alcohol safer than cannabis when that's not the case. Talk about the book for a minute. Where, where did that come from? And, and I know you worked on that with some of your partners, right? Yeah, so it's a book called Marijuana is Safer, So Why Are We Driving People to Drink, uh, which I co-authored along with Steve Fox, who I mentioned earlier, and Paul Armentano, who is a deputy, longtime deputy director of Normal at the national level. And uh, so it was really Steve's brainchild. And, and, and Paul, Paul is like 
an encyclopedia of, of factual information. He knows all the research, all the studies, all the history of prohibition. Um, so, you know, Steve had, had come up with this whole theory and this strategy, and Paul had all this knowledge of all this, uh, of, uh, you know, research and, and the science behind everything. And my, you know, I honestly, and I readily admit I was, you know, the, the contributed the least to the project, but, you know, came in with the whole stuff about implementing this strategy and, and uh, how, you know, the story in Colorado and then what people can do from there. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it really just kind of lays it out there very simply, like, here are these two substances. Here's what, you know, here's why people use them. Here are the effects they can have. Here's why they, you know, here are their harms. You know, here are their benefits. Uh, and it, it flatly acknowledges that there are harms associated with cannabis, um, you know, and then it, it explains how laws came about, like what, what those laws are, how these two substances are treated and gives some examples like, like those we've been talking about, like sports or what have you. Um, and then it, it, it you know, talks about this, this strategy of, of educating people about these facts and building support for legalization that way. And, and tells the story of how that led to legalization in Colorado, and then really provides some tips for what people can do themselves. Perfect segue, because that was my next question. You know, as we've said a couple times now, there's still a long way to go. And it sounds like you've done this work, you know, all over. I live in, a, in one of the few remaining states where there is no cannabis whatsoever, and that's South Carolina. Uh, now I'm, I'm moving to Pennsylvania soon, which I'm very excited about. But here in, in South Carolina, if listeners aren't aware of this, there are now less states where it's not legal or, at all and no cannabis than there are where it's completely legal, which is wonderful, but that there's still a long way to go. So if people are listening and they're like, man, I'm so I'm jazzed. I want to start this. You know, where do they begin? What how do they get this ball rolling? Well, fortunately, there is, you know, there, there's, there's some progress being made in South Carolina, as you may already be aware, but um, we'll hopefully see them adopt a, a medical cannabis law, uh, if not this year, in the very near future. But, um, you know, the, the most important thing is, is you know, for tip, you know, the standard person is to just have this conversation. Uh, you know, it's, you could say, oh, go out and you know, take action and volunteer and this and that. But a lot of times those opportunities are pretty limited and or it requires more resources than one might have, or there just isn't an infrastructure for that. Like, so for most people, I would say the most important thing is just to be prepared to have a conversation, to be looking for opportunities to have the conversation, and then to, you know, pull the trigger and have those conversations. Um, and by conversations, I'm referring to like, you know, talking to friends or family members, coworkers, obviously you might have to be careful when it comes to coworkers, but it just depends on your dynamic there. But um, it's like, oftentimes people feel like the only way to, to take action is to go out and talk to strangers when the most effect they can have is to talk to the people that are closest to them. Uh, you know, when does someone hand you a flyer, ask you to stop outside a grocery store to talk about something and change your mind? I mean, it doesn't really happen that often. But someone, you know, your your son-in-law or your your you know your brother or your your coworker, and they say, you know what, like I this is what I believe, and here's why. I feel really strongly. I hope you'll at least consider it. That sort of thing, like especially with younger people talking to older people. Um, you know, explaining to an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent, like, hey, I know that 
you're worried about this and you have reasons, there are reasons to be worried, but you should also know these facts and, and just laying it out for them and, and explaining why you care, why it matters, the, you know, whether it's the racial social justice implications, whether it's the, the potential harm to consumers because products aren't being tested or uh, putting people in an illegal marketplace and, and that sort of thing. Like, you know, reach people where they're at. If they're your Republican uncle, like let them know, hey, did you see that so-and-so Republican congressman just came out in support of legalization. Um, you know, find ways that they can relate to and bring the subject up somehow and talk about it. And, you know, that's really where we see people change their minds. So uh, sort of last part on that is it's easy to look at how far we have to go and get discouraged, but what's giving you, know, you spend all your time on this, man. What's giving you hope right now? Um, well, the natural order in which things grow old and die certainly always brings hope. Uh, I know that's a morbid way to look at it, but there are a lot of outdated beliefs and, you know, a lot of those beliefs tend to fade away as, as you know, that, that generation goes away. Uh, so I think we've got that going for us, which is nice. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, and then I think another huge thing that, you know, is, is just uh, the amount of information out there. Um, you know, I, I, I think that the number one thing that is driven, uh, you know, reform and, and driven a change in public opinion. Obviously, there's activist efforts and so on, but that's really like the thing behind that. It's it's information and the media and access to information. Um, you know, think about like 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. Where was there information about cannabis? I mean, where would you find it? The only thing would be what the government produces or what you see in the news. And the only thing in the news is about people getting in trouble or doing something wrong or what have you. So where on earth would anyone possibly come up with the idea that there's some redeeming value to marijuana or that it should be legal? I mean, the only things you know are that it's bad. And so, you know, it was really when we started to see some growth and you know support for legalization is you know the late 60s the 70s and especially in the early 70s when you had Jimmy Carter you know a presidential candidate saying that he was supportive of decriminalization and and more and more more people hearing about the idea that maybe prohibition is not right um and then of course you had the Reagan the Reagan years which walked you know washed away all that progress um but then you hit the 90s and what happens in the 90s the internet I mean, when did, you know, when did the internet, for most people, like the typical person, mid nineties is when they started having access. I know that my, you know, I was probably like a middle school student, like 1994, 95 and AOL, you know, it was like, that exactly. was it. And uh, so that's like, you know, the mid nineties. Well, the first medical marijuana law passes in 1996. And that law was really driven by, you know, gay rights activists and AIDS activists in, in, in California who could witness what was happening with their friends as they were dying and they could see that cannabis was helping them. And that really drove that whole thing. But the, the big effect, not just, it wasn't just that it legalized it in California, it's that everyone heard about it. 
it was now like news and and it wasn't just one night's news like it would have been 20 years earlier it was forever on the internet and and more and more information studies like you know reports like editorials or columns that take a stance that prohibition is failing like all these things that you could never find before are now readily available and constantly being circulated and so you know and as there's you know that breeds changes in the law and, and victories those victories then result in more coverage and it's self-feeding and that's what's you know the like the reason that we are as far along as we are with legalization is because more people than ever before know more about cannabis than ever before so in theory if you know social media networks don't fuck it all up <laughs> like this should continue to happen and you know you'll reach a point where it would be bizarre for someone to be in their 40s or 50s and think marijuana should be illegal just like it would be bizarre if they thought alcohol should be illegal now there will still be some but you know by and large, you know it's like just think of like you know if you heard that you know someone like didn't think that alcohol should be legal would they get elected of course not like but that will sooner or later be the case with marijuana. And quite frankly, it might already be the case in certain places like Colorado, for example. Yeah, beautifully put. I, I someone the other day we were talking about drug policy and they they told me that they thought that um you know prohibition of, of alcohol was was the, the, the failures were quote unquote overblown and maybe we should revisit the idea. And I went, Oh, okay, clearly this, this is not a conversation I need to to be happening having um well really well put i really appreciate that before we go into the final couple of questions if you wouldn't mind once again shouting out where everybody can find you and we'll go from there sure um i encourage people if they want to know more about uh, the work that, that my firm does you can go to vsstrategies.com uh also work very closely with the law firm vicente cedarberg uh, which is doing a lot of great work around the country and really around the world to you know help governments create legalization laws and these regulations and make sure that they're effective. Um, and of course, check out organizations like the Marijuana Policy Project, the Drug Policy Alliance, Normal, anything. Yeah, uh, big fans of, of most of those, uh, as my listeners know, for my birthday uh, last summer, I helped raise over 10 grand for, for Drug Policy Alliance, mostly from this podcast. So uh, really, really uh, big fan of all they're doing. Well, I, I finished the podcast with the same two questions every time. The first of which is not just during COVID, but especially right now. What are your self-care habits? What works for you? Oh, man. Well, you know, I'm working at home right now. And, uh, you know, it's actually something I'm, that I'm trying to get more actively engaged on. Uh, you know, I haven't had the greatest self-care habits for quite a long time. So, you know, one of the things that's always fascinated me most is, is like, as I've been involved in, you know, defending marijuana and, you know, is, is like, if there's a drug that's going to kill me, it's sugar by, by all means. And, um, you know, uh, which I do think is highly addictive and, and obviously dangerous. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it should be illegal, but <laughs> I just think, uh, you know, it's a matter of education and, and perhaps we could have some better regulations on it, quite frankly, but but yeah, I just trying to watch that stuff and uh, stay sane. I mean, the you know, the break from live music is certainly not easy. Um, fortunately, I've got some friends who you know been able to do some small backyard you know safe things here and there. Um, 
over the summer. So, you know, hanging in there. All right. So the last question I always ask is, you know, we spent the last now about 45 minutes lear learning why we should check out all the work you're doing and all that. But who are some people that you look up to? You know, what are you watching, reading, listening to podcast wise or uh, whatever the case is? You know, what, who should we go check out? Well, uh, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, there's there are a number of great organizations that are out there working on Canvas and, and they're now just so many different areas of this. Um, you know, for a long time, you really had, you know, the Drug Policy Alliance and, and the Marijuana Policy Project, Normal, and, eh, you know, Students for Sensible Drug Policy and other great organization. But, you know, there weren't a whole lot. Now you're starting to see uh, a lot of state-based organizations, organizations that are very specific to medical cannabis, um, organizations specific to uh, to the social justice, racial justice side of things. Um, the Last Prisoner Project is, is a great one. There are state-specific or, excuse me, state, state groups that are focused on those types of issues now. And uh, so it really, there are these things out there now for people that, you know, you can get into the side of things that you want. Um, I'm fortunate to be in a position where I am, you know, doing communications work for this law firm that is, you know, working on all of these aspects in all of these places. And I get to kind of be on top of all the things they're doing, or at least try to be on top of it. And that alone is like enough to, you know, satisfy my curiosity. So yeah, I don't know. I, you know, feel kind of like, uh, Donald Trump being asked to name a book. <laughs> but, oh, man. Uh, That's cool. We can finish with that. That's a great joke to finish on. <laughs> uh, yeah, which I, I certainly could, but, you know, they'd be really, you know, you can only read so many Grateful Dead biographies and autobiographies. <laughs> and, and, you know, for so many, you know, I've always just been completely blown away by people who volunteer like people who, who volunteered for the organizations I've, or campaigns I've led, like, because they're doing it in their spare time, like after work, like before work. And that's just mind blowing to me that there are people that do this great stuff. So for me, it's like, man, if I'm not working, then I, I oftentimes I'm just, you know, want to escape. Well, I definitely want to second that as someone who used to work in politics and who used to spend a lot of time uh, volunteering before I worked in it. Yes, thank you to volunteers. Uh, these these sorts of things could not happen. Uh, and before that, I was in nonprofit. So again, thank you, volunteers. These sort of things could not happen without you. Well, you and I could do a whole separate podcast episode on the Grateful Dead and Fish. We're not going to do that tonight. So thank you for taking the time, Mason. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me, if you listen to the podcast, and of course you do because you're hearing this right now, you know that I always ask my guests what their preferred method of self-care is. Well, here's my answer, a good cup of coffee. This year has truly made me appreciate the little things that make my life better, and a good cup of coffee goes a long way. That's why I switched to Four Sigmatic and I haven't gone back. They use mushrooms in their beans, and it gives me a kick in the morning that I didn't know I needed before, and now I miss if I have anything other than Four Sigmatic. Once you give them a try, trust me, you're not going to want to go back. So go check out the link in my show notes or on my podcast website, and use the code CHOOSEYOURSTRUGGLE, all one word, at checkout to get 10% off. Check out Four Sigmatic today.
Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com slash choose your struggle. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I'm getting better at that. I don't know if you know that, but it takes me usually a couple of takes to get that all in one, you know, without stumbling over all the, the stuff. And, and I'm getting better at doing it in one ta- take. And then I screw up the word take, of course. So uh, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this this conversation with Mason Tavert. I, uh, it, look, I'm so appreciative of his work. We all should be, right? Because it, as he so perfectly talks about, there are so many facets of this. It's a health issue. It is a criminal justice issue. It's a personal liberty issue. It's a freedom of enjoying a, a, a safe alternative to alcohol issue. Like, there's so much going on there. And who knows when it would have been legalized and now in many states to criminalize, whatever the case is, without Mason's work. So so thank you to him and thank you for taking the time, Mason. Really enjoyed our conversation. So this week's card brought to you by Blurt, as always, thank you, Blurt, is from the You Are Enough card pack because... Mason had to start somewhere, and, and the gimmicks and all the stuff that got him on the news was, was you know, I mean, it was just groundswell politics, right? So we're going to use the You Are Enough card pack in his honor. Here's the card. It's okay to not live by other people's expectations of you. They have their own life to map out, mold, and create. Yours is yours. Great card. That's really important, and that goes to a lot of what we talk about on this show, right? I mean, following someone else's definition of success, someone else's definition of happiness, isn't going to get you anywhere. It's it's only going to leave you feeling unfulfilled. So please keep that in mind when you're making choices. It, it, occasionally, of course, we have to choose things that that are more for other people. And sometimes it's a good thing, right? Helping other people is wonderful, it's beautiful. But if it hurts you, if it changes your life in, in a negative way, then take a moment and say, why am I making this choice, right? That's what mindfulness is all about, being in touch with some of those decisions. So your good egg for today is going to go right along with that. And that is take some time to, the next time you have like a, you know, not even a big decision, a small decision, something and say, is it okay if I say no to this? Is it okay if I go a different direction? That's your good at is just to put yourself first in that respect. You know, it's it's okay sometimes. We 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 are so quick to just say yes because we don't want to upset people because we want to be a good team player and all this, right? But sometimes being a good team player means working on on a way to accommodate both sides, right? And, and and being a good friend is a way you can say, you know, that doesn't really work for me. What if we tried this? And if the person backs away immediately, let me put a, a better perspective, right? I, I, I've, I've used this story a lot or, or this analogy a lot, but I get pitched from people to be on this podcast all the time, like multiple times a day, a lot of times, right? And I have the same response every time, which is, Oh, that's you know so interesting. Would you mind sending me more information? And 85, 90% of the time, the people don't even respond because they aren't expecting anything other than an absolute yes, 
right? In this case, all they have to do is send me more information. We can start a dialogue and we can figure out something that works for both of us, right? That's what you can do in your life. Say, you know, I'm not, I'm not really available to do that or I'm not really feeling that. What if we tried this? And if the person just is like flat out, no, how could you? Well, <laughs> they're not thinking with your interest in mind anyways. They're just doing this for themselves, right? If they're open to having a conversation, then that's where you can work. That's where you can develop something beautiful. So take the time, put yourself first, and, and be willing to say, you know, let's try a different approach here. But most importantly, be vulnerable, show your empathy, spread your love, and choose your struggle. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a huge sports fan. I start every morning by listening to the Locked On Celtics podcast, and I never miss a Reds game. So when it's time for me to grab a gift for the sports fan in my life, I check out Fanatics. They have everything you need from the best teams, the favorite players, and all the stuff is good. As a memorabilia and autographs collector, I trust Fanatics. But here's the best part. Fanatics always has some kind of discount going on. From free shipping to 50 to 70% off some items, you're going to get a great deal every time at Fanatics. So check them out using the link in the show notes or from my podcast website and help the podcast in the process. Check them out today.